Money FM 89.3, the best of the breakfast huddle. It's time now to turn our attention to headlines from around the region. This morning, we're looking at headlines out of India and Malaysia. And on the line with me is Dr. Felix Tan, political observer for Nanyang Technological University. Good morning, Dr. Felix. Hi, good morning, Elliot. Another week, another round of headlines. This time, we start off with India Prime Minister Narendra Modi speaking to soldiers, saying that India sees war as a last resort but needs a strong military and economy to ensure peace. While the comments are not entirely new, what does this latest reiteration offer in terms of India's strategic thinking? Mm-mm. Now, I think this is just, uh, you, you get another political posturing um, by the Modi administration uh, really to show up this sense of uh, national pride or nationalistic pride. Now, India needs a very strong military and economy to really stand up against its biggest neighbour and that's China. Mm. And also I mean, we have uh, seen, you know, a lot of continued uh, skirmishes, not only between its uh, traditional nemesis, Pakistan, but also over the years, you know, a rather belligerent China who has been encroaching into India's territory. Or, 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 or as China would say that India was encroaching into their territory, but it's yeah. never been resolved. So China and India, you know, they have outstanding territorial issues. Uh, since the 1960s, during the Sino-India War, where India actually lost heavily to China, and these issues have yet to be resolved, and a lot more incursions are still happening at this point in time. And what one of the worries is that it might lead to an accidental war, uh, and and that what uh, you know everyone is trying to avoid. So while having a strong military does not actually necessarily mean that India will eventually end up in a war, enter a war. But if it does happen, it, it is probably a, just a last resort. Okay. Uh, as for its economy, I think you know, India is the world's fifth largest economy and uh, it has still to do a lot of catching up to China. So I think at this point in time, it's really a, re- a reflective reassessment of its own economic capabilities, especially in a post-pandemic India. So I think uh, all this rhetoric is really essentially India's way of sending a message, you know, that they should not be trampled upon. Mm, I like how you've brought China right into the mix because just a reminder, India has banned several Chinese apps since that skirmish on a disputed border in 2020. They're in fact investigating multiple Chinese firms as well. At the same time, US President Joe Biden, his administration signaled that they were not interested in sanctioning New Delhi over a recent decision to buy S-400 missile defense system from Russia. So where does this leave Mr. Modi in terms of balancing a relationship with both Russia and the United States? Mm-mm-mm. I think, uh, let's start with the Chinese one. I think the Chinese one has been a long outstanding kind of issue that has been brewing over the years and that has yet to be resolved. Although they have, you know, reached a sort of an agreement, you know, with regards to territorial uh, uh, incursions and so on and so forth, I think it has been left uh, on the table and left it aside for the time being. Now, with regards to Russia and the US, I think both Russia and, uh, and India has long been a traditional ally since the, the, the Cold War period and that relationship has is set to grow probably even stronger. Uh, not only uh, does India you know, or, or did India not participate in the West uh, sanctions on Russia, it has also continued to cozy up to well, the Russian leader Vladimir mm-hmm. Putin. Uh, for, for India, I think what, what we need to understand is that Russia remains India's most important supplier of weapons mm. and, also, of course, most recently oil. 
So, you know, with, uh, with regards to, to the U.S., I think um, the, the, the relationship between India and U.S. has always been a little bit dicey. So this sort of new security relationship is only a very recent uh, development uh, between the two countries. So I think what India is trying to send, or at least sending a signal to the U.S. and its Western allies, is that, you know, its foreign policy is, is, is decided by them and not anyone else. Yeah. And of course, India con- needs to continue this relationship with Russia. For for, for one thing, is uh, the Russians are very close friends right now with China, and uh, India is probably hoping that this close relationship between you know uh, Russia and China will take the heat off between India and China. So wow. uh, it will need to maintain that sort of you know friendly relations with Russia. Mm. It shouldn't do too much damage as far as his support base ahead of key state elections in the coming mm. months, right? He should be fine. Yeah, he should be fine. I think all this loud advocacy about having strong military, strong economy will in fact lead to a much uh, stronger support, uh, mm. much needed support to the to Modi's uh, BJP, or at least, you know, if there's going to be a coalition, the BJP-led coalition. So I think not only will this continue to show up this sense of Hindu nationalist sentiments, it will also ensure that more will continue to support, vote for the BJP and uh, the, the affiliated party. So, mm. uh, and I think ultimately, I think this would can be seen as an endorsement of uh, uh, Prime Minister Narendra Modi's popularity, as, okay. especially before the next general election that is scheduled for uh, 2024. So I, I think uh, th- this sort of the state election could be seen as a somewhat of a recognition of uh, this Modi-esque kind of ah. aggressive Hindu-nationalistic yeah. yeah. politics that yeah. has dominated Indian politi- political sphere. Mm. Dr. Felix, I want to talk about this airstrike that killed at least 50 people oh. at a concert in Myanmar. This was held by an ethnic minority group in conflict with the ruling military. I believe this was reported on Monday by media and it's been condemned by the United Nations and Western embassies as well. Dr. Felix, what kind of retaliation should we expect or to what extent can the UN act on this? I think there's very little likelihood that the international community would do anything to Myanmar, at least not in a response that is what we see you know, happening in Ukraine or towards okay. Ukraine. Uh, I think first and foremost, there's very little interest or no political will to directly get involved in a country that has perhaps one can see it a little value to add to the international community. Right. Uh, Myanmar is seen to be a pariah, uh, pariah state, and the more the junta continues its atrocity on its own people, uh, the, the more you'll be further isolated from the rest of the world. Well, except maybe for Russia, China, okay. India, but all, all of these are rather strange fatalities in their support for the military regime. So uh, it's something that we have to, you know, uh, uh, think about. Uh, ASEAN has so far convened an emergency meeting to discuss on the escalating conflict. Uh, you know, uh, in, in the country, but the association is so disparate and there's really very little agreement on collective responsibility with regards to the crisis in Myanmar. So I think even for the UN, you know, they are very inundated at this point in time where the crisis is happening in Ukraine and, you know, and Russia to deal with, uh, with, 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 with Myanmar at this point. Mm. Dr. Felix, got a bit of time to squeeze in our favourite topic, <laughs> Malaysia GE. <laughs> Nomination day on November 5th. We know this now. Polling day on the 19th. There's mm-hmm. some early voting happening on the 15th as well. As far as campaigns are concerned, I mean, do parties appear like prepped for these elections? Have they started to touch base? Mm, I, I think 
it seems as if, uh, for the time being, the campaigning is starting off very, very slowly. Yeah. I think, yeah, it, it, it's, it's very muted. I think, <laughs> I, I'm not too sure whether they are really prepared for the elections or they're shocked by the elections, but I, I, I highly doubt that they're shocked. I think it's been talked about for quite some yeah. a few months already. <laughs> I, I, think, I think, firstly, it's, it's because many of the political parties and uh, perhaps the coalitions are still firming up who they want to represent in uh, which mm. constituencies. Mm. Uh, and, and everyone is trying to rejig all their plans, uh, given that there's a monsoon season com- coming along as well. So I think there is a likelihood that there will be more political canvassing, perhaps, and also more publicity of the various political leaders in at least uh, the coming weeks. Okay. Uh, that's one. I think, secondly, there's also a certain amount of unpreparedness for this, uh, for yeah. such an early election. Yeah. I think many of them are still very much uh, uh, you know, involved in ensuring that the monsoon season of floods can be managed somewhat effectively and also appropriately. I think these are some of the issues uh, that is pushing them, you know, away from the limelight. Yeah. Let's squeeze this last one in. So former Malaysian Prime Minister Mahathir Mohamad has said that he's prepared to meet opposition chief Anwar Ibrahim to explore the possibility of political mm-hmm. pact to fight against, quote, those who are trying to destroy the country. Dr. Felix, this sounds like an old familiar tone. Any likelihood it's going to be once bitten, twice shy from Anwar? I think we have heard this many a times, and I think <laughs> Mahathir's rhetoric is just old and perhaps off-repeated. I think he's, he's losing the ground that he used to have in the past. You know, his time perhaps is already one can say it's over. Yeah. I think there's very little likelihood that anything will materialize from this pairing. I think Anwar appears to have had enough of Mahathir's, you know, uh, overtures, and I certainly am not too sure whether Anwar or even his party Kaadilan or you know mm-hmm. the coalition Pakatan Harapan would still want to work with Mahathir, you know, especially after how he left political office yeah. and, and, and caused quite a huge, uh, you know, uh, problems for the, uh, for the ruling party so, or coalition. So I think uh, we have to understand that essentially Mahathir uses others simply as a pawn to further his own ambitions and ideology. And I think, uh, you know, given his age, right, there's little likelihood that anybody wants to, to, to pair up with him. Because even though he, if he does win, uh, at least in his constituency, the term will be short, quite short-lived mm. anyway. Mm. been speaking yeah. with Dr. Felix Tan, political observer for Nanyang Technological University. Appreciate your time, Dr. Felix. Take care and have a good day. All right. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.